not in this group of very distinguished rising leaders. There are a fair number of people who think of themselves as social entrepreneurs, future social entrepreneurs. The future Wendy Cops going off to start another Teach for America, started charter schools, started KIPP school. Where do they fit into this picture? Oh, key. And where should they fit in? They're very important because they're, they're, they're the incubators for innovation. Uh, they're the opportunities for us to see uh, just, you know, w what you could take to scale in school districts. Right. She's phenomenal. She, what she's done, you know, th th they show that, that you can attract the best and the brightest. I mean, some of these young people into the teaching profession. I think, I think Richard's right, first of all. Uh, you know, the key to turning around schools yeah. are giving parents and teachers voice, giving them power, respect. But I, I will say something about the teachers union because I think we need to go back there. I don't think they're the biggest problem by any stretch. But I do think they've historically been the biggest defenders of the status quo. Uh, they, they've, they've, in almost every district around the country where mayors have tried to take over, they've been on the other end. Now, it doesn't mean the teachers themselves. The teachers aren't the, the problem. It's, right. it's, it's the machine that comes with right. them from time to time. Remember, not only they've been silent, but politicians have been silent. Business right. leaders were silent. Everyone was silent because it did not affect their children. It affected mostly poor children. And so what I've said to the business community, this is your future workforce. These are the young people that, that, that we have to change the system. Every child learns differently. So we did away with vocational schools of the 70s. America said no. Now we have to bring technical vocational schools back. We told everyone that if you don't go to college, you're a failure. So some way you better get to college. Otherwise, you'll be nothing in life. So that's why you have this huge dropout. Because many of them just want to go into the workforce. They, they want to graduate from high school. Maybe they want to go on and just get a job, and they're not prepared. So you have to prepare them. I believe in five-year high school, an apprenticeship program in the fifth year. This is the changing the, this whole bureaucracy. I'm not blaming the teachers. It's the whole education system around. But what I also hear is, because you're a chief executive, go back to Willie's point. When you've got a chief executive who can sort of make these larger decisions, you can restart reshaping a system in some sort of coherent way. It may not work, but at least it's got some coherence and intellectual thought. Let me tell it. you, you get along much better with all yeah. the players if they view you as having the power. Yeah. Huh. If they view you as having the power, as indicated by Mayor Villaraigosa, right. the teachers' union is not a, a, that is not a problem. They're no more a problem than the health workers in my hospital system when I served in right. San Francisco. I got along with them. They understood, though, who the boss was. Right. And they worked with the boss. You've sure. got to have that power, and that's why you can't have an elected school board. Huh. If you have an appointed school board, Richard still has the power. Right. And as long as Richard doesn't corrupt himself by using the power inappropriately, he can begin to achieve the goals that he is achieving, which is exactly what Villaraigosa is attempting to do. The most difficult decision we have to make is to close the school down for non-performance. Right. Maybe eight or nine percent of the children are reading at a national right. norm, 50, 60 percent dropout, is to convince the community that we can do better. It, the status quo is accepted. It, it, it just, so we have a number of public hearings and eventually have to make the decision. And I had to make the decision to close the school down and we reopen it as quickly as possible uh, under a charter, under a newly reorganized school, new teachers, whole new attitude. And you have to, it's an education system because they don't think they're going anyplace in life. This is a sad comment. They think that's what's going to be and nothing's going to be better. And we in government and business, non-for-profits, have to say that we can do better. Yeah. 
Let, let me ask you this question. I, I'm going to go to the floor right after this. But I, I, while we've been out here, uh, Barack Obama gave an important speech in Colorado Springs the uh, day before yesterday, uh, calling for national service and saying it's, it, we're not only calling people to come in military service, but we need their other forms of service you know, in society helping to fix things. And he called for an increase in the size of AmeriCorps from 75,000 members to 250,000. It would be a significant increase. That would mean a large uh, potential influx of these young volunteers coming into your cities. Can they be productively, would this help the cities, can they Absolutely. be productively put into Absolutely. good things? Because this is something that would be important to this generation. There's no question about it. When you think about why people don't vote, uh, people yeah. don't vote because we're not participating on the same level right. as we have in the, historically in the past. Getting young people, I mean, I just got back from Israel. I love that. Uh, the national know, service, sir. Everybody has a, the, the, their patriotic duty is to, to do something for the nation. And today we're celebrating the 4th of July. And I think everybody here recognizes what a great country we live in. Well, one way uh, to acknowledge what a great country we live in is to, to provide, to do service. And so cities could benefit greatly. Look at Goodyear. Uh, what's it called? Uh, I think it's Goodyear? Yeah. City Year. City Year. Great organization. Young people come. You know, AmeriCorps. These are good opportunities for, uh, to get young people who have optimism and hope and energy and, you know, get them involved uh, to make but, a difference. But you could put them to work. In Absolutely. In your, Absolutely. In your perspective. Well, I think it would help us tremendously just in mentoring students uh, after school, yeah. doing homework and yeah. just mentoring them. And, and especially younger people, they have a much better approach uh, to another generation. And they've been very, very helpful here, here, here in Chicago. Uh, for so many years, but if they ever expanded that, the opportunities will give us to really take children that have been hidden, uh, lost in society, to bring them out. Tell us just a moment about uh, what you and Maggie, your wife, who's here, did with it with this inner city arts program. Right, we started basically it's an after-school program uh, <coughs> in all the high schools. We have about 50,000 enrolled in now. We hope to include every high school. Uh, in the city, in both cultural programs, uh, both math, science, sports programs. Interesting. Teaching young uh, minorities swimming to get a job because now we see people of color who are lifeguards in the city of Chicago. That alone has made a difference. All on the lake and swimming pools, historically it was Caucasian. Now we see people of color for the first time. So you tell them, when you're teaching them just the example of swimming, that you can get a job in high school and college. And so we have math and science programs. And what we do is we work in every high school. It's the teenage years that Maggie discusses that are the key in regards to looking at education differently. And we have an opportunity to bring in young people who are artists, who are tech people, who are math and science to come in and really engage the young students, which to me is marvelous. Because when I got elected in 89, seldom mayor ever visited a public school because you're embarrassed. And uh, in 1995, now I visit schools all the time. They know that we are trying to improve the school. It is a challenge. It is difficult. But I firmly believe that it's the only way America should do it. We should, every school should be improved. And, and Senator Obama, uh, again, brings out the best of us. He's saying, why can't we expand this? There are many young people who want to come in, and whether it's health or whether it's education, they can help the less fortunate of our, of our country. You, you see a possibility of, of really making national service something that's important to a younger generation that would, that would make a difference in the quality of life in cities? 
definitely <clears throat> in San Francisco, our social service delivery system is about 75 to 80% community-based, i.e., the nonprofit organizations contract with the city for the purpose of delivering the services. And obviously, those agencies or those organizations are indigenous to individual communities. San Francisco being as diverse as it is, there is an absolute need, for an example, for language access. You've got to be able to speak Chinese in order to deliver the social services to the Chinese community. Right. You can't do that with people on the payroll necessarily. It's just too costly. So what do you do? You do it with this collection of neighborhood-based organizations. Neighborhood-based organizations are always short of talented, dedicated, willing to work 24-7 folk. And if, in fact, this operation that Mr. Obama is talking about causes an increased number of talented people to be available, then in a social service model delivery system like the one in San Francisco County, it becomes a tremendous boost. Because after all, these are people that really have no ax to grind. They really are not competitors in any way for the kinds of things that are being done in the city by the indigenous people to the city. It just becomes a very good thing for potentially improving the quality of life at a price that's affordable. Great. Let's go to the floor. There are microphones here, and uh, you know, please come forward. Identify yourself. Speak up, if you would, please. Yes, Generate sir. A little. I I, yes, ma'am. I don't know how that line formed, but go ahead. <laughs> Hi, my name is Admis. Bring it down to you, if you would. That's my it. name is Admis, and I'm from Los Angeles. I recently finished at Harvard, and my question I is about. Come work for me. Yeah, we're supposed to talk about that later. <laughs> Can I be chief question, of staff? Question. <laughs> <laughs> um, my question is about affordable housing. We weren't able to reach that on the panel. And in this time of decreased suburbanization because of high gas prices, how do you think you'll be able to retain the amount of affordable housing that is really needed in American cities? It's a big challenge for all of us. Uh, you know, affordability in cities, uh, uh, affordability for working people, uh, affordability, for, affordability for the middle class. Uh, in LA, we had never put more than $43 million uh, in a housing trust fund. Uh, in fact, at, at no time did it ever have more than that in its, in its existence. I did uh, $100 million the first year, $100 million the year after. This year, I'm going to announce an even larger amount. And it's leveraged a billion dollars, and it's a drop in the bucket. You wouldn't even notice. Half of the money I put for permanent supportive housing in the area that you work for, uh, for the homeless. It was more money than we had done in the decade before that. Again, a drop in the bucket in terms of the need. We need a, a, an affordable housing trust fund nationally, and, and Senator Barack Obama supports that. Uh, we really need a partnership with the federal government because cities can't uh, do it alone. Uh, and, we, and the other thing we need to do, obviously, is we need to encourage more market rate. But without Without uh, the investment and the partnership with the federal government, it's really difficult to do, uh, to make up for the decades of the lack of investment in affordable housing. Please. Hi, thank you for being here. My name is Luis Verdusco, and I'm from uh, Harbor Medical School. And um, I grew up in Brownsville, Texas, which is a very uh, underserved population, poor healthcare, poor education. And it's a very practical immigrant population. 
where they, from what I saw, lacked the vision. It's very short-term goals and very few long-term goals. And I'm curious to see how um, you've overcome that um, in Chicago with uh, the immigrant population there as you have these after-school programs with these people. Uh, you sort of invite parents to come over um, and how, from a practical standpoint, these people come home at, say, 6 o'clock in the evening and instead of cooking or preparing for the evening or whatever it is, you actually are able to um, get them to participate in their children's um, education. All right. One thing I found about the immigrant population, uh, they're the ones in the forefront of great changes in Chicago. Uh, they arrived in this country, uh, and one thing they want to do is they want to provide a better way of life for their children. And an example, once you raise the expectations of their children, we have 12,000 children learning Chinese, largest program in the United States, non-Chinese. I bring people in. Half the population, 6,000 are uh, Hispanic children from first grade all the way on learning uh, Chinese. If they stay 12 years, they automatically get a scholarship for your university. The other population is mostly African Americans. At the same time, we're teaching Arabic. Arabic, mostly to Hispanics, and mostly to uh, African Americans and some Caucasians. So we're in the language program. You have to, in each school, raise expectations. You're telling to the immigrant family that your child is going to be better than, than you. We're going to move them forward. And they have to really believe in that. And so what you're trying to do with the education is a hold that the moral values are taught at home. And the mayor has a responsibility to give your child the best education. And if you work with us, and it's a challenge, that your child is going to succeed. Your child is going to be better off than you are. And that's what most immigrants believe. They've always believed that. And that's why Chicago has been a city of immigrants. In 1910, uh, very few people spoke English in Chicago for 20, 30 years. It was all immigrants. And so this is not unusual that people cannot speak English in Chicago. And so what we're trying to do is the biggest movement of my changes and the support that I get is from the immigrant community. They want their children to get the best possible education. Please. Hi, my name is Molly Kinder. I'm a, I just graduated from the Kennedy School at Harvard. Um, I'm struck by the fact that the cities you represent are vibrant and growing cities. And I grew up in Buffalo, New York, where we have a very different situation. Our economy is stagnant, and a lot of our talented youth are leaving the city. So my question for all of you, if, if you have any recommendations for future and current city leaders in, in cities like Buffalo and Pittsburgh and Detroit for how these cities can revive themselves. Well, I, I think, I think, um Starts with education. I said earlier, uh, you you got to keep cities safe, but you know, uh, um, and the issue of housing. But you know, it's interesting, and you could see just hearing uh, Mayor Daly. You know, I think the cities in America that have large immigrant populations uh, are the most vibrant cities in America. If you look, I mean, just look at them, uh, they, and and they come from every. You know, I said in LA, 37 different nationalities have the largest population in LA outside of their country of origin. They come from everywhere but they come with a work ethic and with this sense of the possible and with this idea that they're gonna have a tough life, but their kids are gonna have a better life. And so they're, they're an engine for, for our economy and you know, for the vibrancy of, of our town. I, I mean, I think that's, that's the one constant you see in New York, you see in LA, you see in Chicago, you see in Miami, you, you see this real, this, the vitality and the energy that come with immigrants.